big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Before we begin today, we'd like to thank our newest patron, Carrie. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Carrie and get access to exclusive content like outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. Every little bit really helps. And on that note, we'd like to remind you that we're also selling stickers on our website, and they'd make an excellent holiday gift for anyone who loves the show. Those are available at podandprejudice.com slash merch. And speaking of the holidays, happy Hanukkah to anyone who's celebrating. We hope you're eating lots of latkes. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering the first part of episode six of the 1995 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice with our guest, Kari Walzer. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about the final episode of the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel. And we are here with a very special guest, my friend, Kari Walzer. Hi, Kari. How's it going? Hey. Hi. What's going on? Happy to be here. Fabulous. Kari, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from New Jersey, but I'm like right outside New York. I'm a fashion designer. I'm a writer. I'm an actor. I do all kinds of stuff. And um, I met Molly at like a in a theater company. Me and Molly are in a theater company together. Yes. And we bonded. And now I'm on her podcast and I'm super happy about We've it. We've been talking about having you on the pod for since Months. I started a podcast, I think. Yeah. Yes. We were chatting. We were like, who are our guests? And she was like, uh, I think my friend Kari wants to come on. I was like, I met Kari. He's coming on the podcast. He's hilarious. Yes. You were both at my birthday party. With that really good vegan cake. Yes. Oh, yes. Cake. That was like January. So like right before everybody locked down like a month beforehand. But fun times. Fun that times. was a really great day. It was. Except, actually, my wallet got stolen that day. Oh, yeah. I think Molly told me yeah. that. Yeah. That's why I was late to the party. It's because my wallet got stolen. And then I went and filed a report and they never got back to me. So I had to replace everything in my wallet. Good times. I remember very specifically saying to myself, January 2020 is cursed because I got the flu and I got my wallet stolen. And I was like, January 2020 is canceled. The rest (laughs) of the year is going to be amazing. I remember when you said that and none of us had any idea. When everyone was like going like, oh, 2020 is my year. I was like, hold on, y'all. Let's just like wait until we see the material before we get too excited here. And Jesus Christ, was I right? <laughs> I was so right. Everyone else was like, was like so like shook. And I'm like, listen, y'all, this is why you gotta wait. You gotta wait. I was like, let's just. We don't want to jinx anything. We jinxed exactly. It. I didn't want. I I wanted to jinx nothing, but apparently it didn't. Listen, work. if we look back at the Roaring Twenties, that was like supposedly such a great time for everyone. But like, wasn't that also? I'm about to sound really dumb if I'm wrong, but wasn't that also like when prohibition was happening, and so everyone was like underground, like getting arrested? Or am I wrong? Well, there were a lot of things that happened in the 1920s. Well, like yes, there was prohibition. Women got to vote in 1920. Oh, that's lit. The Harlem Renaissance was happening. So like, yay, black people, Langston Hughes, like living for it. Exactly. Fashion was on point then. Like corsets like went out the window for women in fashion in the 1920s. Yeah, and women were like out drinking gin at bars and clicking their heels, being flappers. Yeah. Well, damn, then I guess it was really roaring, wasn't it? It Well, yes, but I mean, if it makes you feel any better, The Great Gatsby is entirely about the emptiness of the 20s leading into the 30s, which was the Depression. So like it wasn't all fun and games. There was also some hardship, but also things like the reason the stock market crashed is that's when credit cards were invented and also when refrigerators were invented. So everyone tanked their credit scores by buying refrigerators. (laughs) (laughs) That's so random. You know what's funny? I was freaking watching Downton Abbey. I just finished watching all six seasons of Downton Abbey last night. And like, I thought you just started, Kari. Child, I started a week Oh my God. (laughs) I done sat in my bed and watched Downton Abbey all week nonstop. Without spoiling anything for Molly, I stopped watching Downton Abbey after season three. <gasps> I haven't seen any. Listen, new podcast. <laughs> 
Downton Abbey. Down at the Abbey. Down at the Abbey. Down at the Abbey. Yeah, I'll give you this. Like, the acting's great. I love the costumes. I was too mad at the writers after season three, but I understand. I don't want to spoil it. With good reason, but I'm telling you that it gets better. Okay, but uh, on to another uh, period piece that is the subject of this podcast. How did you first come to Jane Austen, or is this your first experience with Jane Austen? Okay, I have known of Jane Austen, like Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice. I did try to read Pride and Prejudice when I was probably like in eighth grade or something. Like, like, like I like forced my mom to like buy me like the Barnes and Noble classic version of it because it was like five dollars. Yes. And like I started reading that book and I was like, child, what is this woman saying? She's saying all these words, <laughs> but she's not speaking real English. Like what is going on? And so I read about a chapter of it. And then I said, fuck this. I'm putting this book down and I haven't picked it up since. But I have seen the movie with like Keira Knightley, iconic. Oh, there's also like Sense and Sensibility with Kate Winslet, Emma Thompson. Oh, so iconic. And Kari's listened to our podcast. I have. I have. It's a fun time. I always laugh when I listen. I always oh, laugh. Good. That's that's what we love to hear. Like when gyms were still a thing, I'd listen to it when gyms were still a TBT. thing. Yeah, I haven't listened to a podcast in weeks. Yeah, I, I keep Same. getting them piling up because like my commute was podcasts and now I like clean my apartment with podcasts on, but that doesn't take up all the time. Mm-hmm. But in any case, that brings me to what is your favorite Austin thing? Well, I've always really enjoyed the movie with Keira Knightley and I've always enjoyed like Sense and Sensibility with like Kate Winslet and Emma Thompson. I've always thought the action was great and I thought it was super cool that like Emma Thompson wrote the she screenplay. Did? I always thought that was cool too. Which character do you relate to the most in Austin? I feel like I'm a mixture of like a couple different characters. To Go be for honest. it. I feel like I'm like the same kind of badass as Lizzie, but then still the kind of like reasonable calm one in a tough situation like Jane. But then I can also be a complete psycho like Mrs. <laughs> Bennett. Like I cannot tell you how many times I was watching this and I was like, if this woman does not sit down and have some opium. <laughs> like she was just like bouncing off the walls for no reason. And I'm like, ma'am. But I will give her this. She was one of the fashion icons of this of this show I will give her that oh absolutely absolutely which like it made me upset because like all her kids looking drabby but then like Mrs. Bennett would like show up to the function with her feather in her hair and it's like how are you going to outdo your own kids oh my mom outdoes me all the time you better take them babies shopping yeah and Kari out of all of those characters like yes you have elements of Lizzie and Jane but you are definitely the most like Mrs. Bennett for sure (laughs) I think you just got red wow (laughs) I just got red no like in in an excellent way because she's phenomenal in this oh she is (laughs) (laughs) she is i will give her this her acting is really good like i cannot imagine like a day of filming of doing mrs bennett scenes and then just going and taking it i mean she must like that woman is on like a humidifier the second she leaves that set yes like literally she's just always on it and it's like aren't you tired is your voice not giving out at this point really great work So the last question before we get into the episode, do you have any Jane Austen hot takes you want to throw out there? I feel feel like as we start talking, I probably will have some. They're just escaping my brain in this very second. Very fair. All right. This is Molly's last episode of the 1995 version. Are we all excited? Which is my birth year. Yeah, me too. Oh, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay, Becca. Hip with the kids. I'm hanging with the kids, keeping my youth alive. Becca's 26, Kari. She's not she's not old. I was born in 1993. I'm fine. Hey, I'm going to be 25 in September, so I'm right I'm going to be 26 you. in January. I'm going to be 27 in September, so. My birthday's in September. I, I was like, I bet he's a late September baby because I feel like he's a Libra. I am in fact a Libra. <laughs> I am in fact a Libra. Like, literally, everyone's like, what's your sign? And I go, I'm a Libra. And they go, oh, Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, it doesn't uh... mean anything. It just means that, like, no, no, I'm not gonna get on this because I'm gonna get creamed on the internet. But I feel like I know what you're gonna which say. Which is that everyone should take horoscopes with a grain of salt. That's the diplomatic way I'll say it. I wonder yes. what sign Mrs. Bennett is. I feel like she's a Gemini. I would believe that. That's very unfair. When people talk about horoscopes, I just smile and nod. I don't really know anything about Same. them. All I know is that Libras like balance. That's it. Libras like balance, and they're dreamers. I know Virgos are type A's. That's me. I know that Leos want attention. I know Cancers are emotional. And I know Geminis are not two-faced, but they have different sides to them. Multifaceted. Exactly. Well, I hope our listeners don't hate us after that. If you like astrology, 
I'm not clocking you. It just doesn't necessarily make sense to me always. <laughs> and people will be like, oh, sorry, I'm like this. I'm a, I'm a Capricorn. And I'm like, no, sis, you're just terrible. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, God, I can't help it. I'm a Gemini. I'm like, no, sweetie, you're just an awful person. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I want that on a T-shirt. It's not your astrological sign. It's your personality. <laughs> Sorry about it. Well, to move on to our favorite Gemini, Mrs. Bennett, scene one of episode six of the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice starring Jennifer Eel and Colin Firth, Mrs. Bennett is so happy that Lydia is now married and she is just being the worst about it. She's just disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> she was wearing stress pajamas before, but now she seems to not be wearing them. And I'm upset. She was swallowed in ruffles. Yeah, she's like all covered in lace. Cascade of sad ruffles was yes. the thing before. And like a dramatic shawl. It was so yeah. bizarre how excited about Lydia's marriage she was. First, she was like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. This is the end of our family. And then she said, oh, wait, haha, never mind. Lady can do and a like, one. I'm just sitting there watching, going, "Sis, she's 16. Like, what are you doing?" Well, I have a question about that actually, because when they got the first letter, she was devastated, and that was when they thought that Lydia was getting married. Then the second letter, they found out, "Oh, Lydia's not getting married. She's just like running off to have sex with this man," and she was devastated again. Now she is married and she's happy all of a sudden instead of being devastated. Like when they got that first letter, she was like, this will be the ruin of all of us. So what's going on? But you know what? I think that Lydia's thing was a stunt. I don't think she's going to be happy with that man long term. Oh, she's definitely not going to be happy with that man. And they do a good job. She she was just mad because she was the youngest of the children and everyone was ignoring her and not letting her do things. And so she said, I'm going to be angsty. Lydia literally just went to South Beach during quarantine. Mm -hmm. It's just like that's she went to Wildwood after prom. But uh, to answer Molly's question, my take on this is that Lydia's running away was bad, but then it plummeted to worst case scenario, and then it got pulled back up to just bad. So in context, Mrs. Bennett's upset that her daughter eloped. Then it's, oh, God, it's so much worse. Her reputation's ruined. And then it's like, oh, no, her reputation's not ruined. She just eloped. Okay, so she's just, like, relieved that it's not the worst thing ever. Exactly. And, like, it's blinded her to how bad it is in the first place. Mm -hmm. So she's up there with Lizzie and Jane and Lizzie and Jane are trying to explain how indebted to their uncle they are. And she flip flops from being like, your uncle was so kind to being like, I don't know why your uncle did all of that to being like, of course he should have done all of that. (laughs) And they're like, okay, mom. Yeah. To quote my boyfriend watching this with me, she's out of her fucking mind. She like truly does not know that she has been played. Like, congrats, you played yourself. Like, this man done got your family's (laughs) money. He done got the dowry. He done got all your coin. But as long as Lydia's married, hey, girl. Here's the thing, though. He actually didn't get a lot of their money. He actually got less than Lydia was supposed to get in dowry a little bit. What do you say, like, 100 pounds or something like that? Or, like... 500 pounds or something? It was something like that. But the fact of the matter is that Mr. Darcy... Paid like 10,000 pounds for this. And like 10,000 pounds in olden time money is yeah. that. But basically Wickham got bribed into marrying her and they're going to be poor for the rest of time. So not only are they like unhappy with each other, but they're also going to be poor and unhappy. Right. Huge bummer. The good thing is that neither of them really minds sex without love. But that gets boring. Yeah, it I indeed guess gets boring. Ask sophomore year of college party. It's boring. <laughs> Ask junior year of college. (laughs) So anyway, Mrs. Bennett is very excited specifically about the wedding clothes. And she tells Lizzie to go ask her dad how much money he's willing to give her. So Lizzie goes down and she's like standing in the doorway with her dad. And they just can hear Mrs. Bennett wailing above. She's like, oh, go get Mrs. Hill. Where is Mrs. Hill? Oh, Jane. (laughs) And Daddy Bennett just goes, Lizzie. (laughs) And Lizzie closes the door. And then this is where we find out that Mr. Gardner must have paid like 10,000 pounds because Wickham would be a fool otherwise to accept her. And Lizzie is shook by this information. So I think this is 1816. 10,000 pounds in 1816 in 2020 is worth, oh my. How much? 10,000 pounds in 1815 is worth 896,254 pounds and 61 cents. Wow. And if I convert that to dollars, that's even more. That is an absurd amount of money. Darcy, just damn. What a sweet boy. But we don't know it's Darcy yet. Then Daddy Bennett 
this is a little bit sad. He starts talking about how he wishes he could provide for them all better, but that he didn't save up because he thought he was going to have a son. I was kind of like, why are you telling your daughter that you wish you had a son? But he does. Yeah, I think I think what he's trying to say is that basically that like he would be able to provide for his daughters if he had a son. But it, it kind of almost makes it feel like the rest of them are mistakes because like they kept trying and trying to have a son, but they have getting daughters. Well, maybe that's the reason he likes Lizzie and Jane the best. <laughs> Because like, like they'd just be fine. Like the other girls would be like a hot mess, but like Jane and Lizzie would be completely fine. And that's what happens because they they're rich now. Just the two of them. Yeah, they end up okay. so rich. So then, of course, in classic Daddy Bennett fashion, he's like, "But I'll be okay." Because he has a prime ability to sass when he's sad. So then we cut to the courthouse in London, where Lydia is to get married, and we see her getting out of the carriage with the gardeners. And this really broke my heart. She looked around and she went. Where is everyone? Like, all bright and chipper. It's so tragic. She's so clueless. She thought she was going to have this big wedding, and then nobody came. That wedding was a flop. That wedding was was truly a flop. So then we go into the courthouse, and we see Wickham pop up, and then we see Darcy, like, pop up behind him like a -a whack-a-mole. That was the best shot. Were they squatting out of frame? They were squatting under the camera, and then they just jumped up (laughs) and just jumped into the frame. You can even see a little bounce at the top. They're like, whoop, And just, like, the side eye, the side eye that happens, like, between, like, Darcy... Colin Firth's capacity to sass without saying a single word is incredible. Mm-hmm. They're all given side eye. This whole wedding is just people glancing at each other like, mm, The whole I wedding is just like, embarrass me. Except Lydia, who's like in for it. And like, Mike made the comment that like, she looks so happy with absolutely no right to be. I know. <laughs> she ruined everything. I also noticed that this is where Darcy was in the freeze frame that ended the last episode where we like saw Lizzie like staring into space and then we saw Darcy looking angsty with a pillar in the background and this is where he was. He was at Lydia's wedding, yeah. Then we fade into the letter from Mr. Gardiner to Daddy Bennett saying that Wickham is leaving the militia, that Mr. Forrester is going to satisfy all the creditors in Brighton and he asked Daddy Bennett to do the same for the creditors in Meryton, which is like him distributing the money that right now we think that came from Mr. Gardiner, but we know came from Mr. Darcy. And then he said that then they'll go to Newcastle unless the Bennets invite them first to Longbourn. And Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, of course we should invite them to Longbourn. We have to look at houses. Like They could buy a house here, here, and here. And then Kitty is like, oh, what about Purvis Lodge? And she goes, no, not Purvis Lodge, Kitty. And then Mary's like the one that's like, I hope that they do not bring their asses here. Mary did not want her there. I loved later on when they're leaving and Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, I wish we could all come to the North with you. And Mary's like, I wouldn't want to go anyway. <laughs> she's and then she's like, bitch. shut up, Mary. No one asked you. <laughs> I know. Poor Mary. Mary and Kitty. But like, Mary just like, she just seems like that girl. Like, she reminds me of that girl that I went to elementary school with where like, she went vegetarian and like, she couldn't just do it like a regular person. She had to like berate everybody at the table in fourth grade for having chicken nuggets and would like tell us like what's in the chicken nuggets. And we'd all be like, listen, girl, we did not ask for all of this. That is absolutely And Mary, Mary. feels like that girl. And that is my hot take of this episode. That is my hot take. That's you asked for my hot take earlier. And this is my hot take. This is your hot take. Yeah. I mean, it's consistent with how I see Mary, which is out of her time. And she's supposed to be like an introverted Brooklyn lesbian with a septum piercing and a cat. And like a bunch of sun. In Bushwick. A Bushwick yes! lesbian. In Bushwick. A Bushwick In lesbian. Bushwick. <laughs> Not many bushes, but lots of Wickham, girl. Lots of Wickham. Oh my God, I'm dying. I'd probably date Mary. If you dated Mary, Molly, I would comment on Molly, it. if you dated Mary, I'd fight Mary at a party. <laughs> I know you guys would both be like Molly. We need to help you. No, I'd be, I'd be behind it, but I'd be like, I would just pull you aside and be like, remember how you said you date Mary? Well, <laughs> well, you're doing. It. I'd support you as well, but like, I would have to fight Mary. She might get embarrassed at a party if she said the wrong thing to me. <laughs> Noted. So then, Mr. Bennett says she will never come to Longbourn, and then we cut immediately to her carriage arriving and her. Arriving in Longbourn with Wickham. That's like the always sunny in Philadelphia theme where it's like, they'll be like, we're never going to go to Denver. And then it'll slate the opening title and the opening music. And it'll be like, the gang goes to Denver. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's exactly like or that. Or like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where they're like, I'm not going to do that. And then they cut to the next scene and they're doing it and the music is playing and it's like bum 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 and they're just coming down the street <laughs> in the carriage and, and everyone's outside like going oh my god what is happening like why and Lydia's hanging out the carriage with like her head out like a dog so excited ah and she's wearing a boa the one boa that she has yep and she gets out of the carriage and Mrs. Bennett is like oh we've all missed you so much and she's like oh we've been too married to miss any of you <laughs> I hate her I love her and I hate her at the same time. Oh my God, Lydia's insufferable. Like really, she's like angsty teenage girl. Yeah, like imagine her on TikTok nowadays. Lydia would be the one to make a controversial like TikTok about like Beyonce saying all her music is bad just to piss off the millennials. She would. She definitely TikTok from a pool in South Beach during COVID. Uh, yes. Oh God, she would TikTok her every little move. She would be like, uh, she'd be an anti-master. <gasps> you know who she is? She's the Kylie Jenner. Yes, yes. that's who she's she is. the Kylie Jenner of the group. She would invite Meg the Stallion over to her house. Someone gets shot. Next thing you know, she's at the beach. The next day going, living my best life. That's Lydia. Oh my God. I don't follow any Kardashian drama, but yes, whatever was just happening. Google it. It was a debacle. Oh like boy. people on Twitter were pissed. So they're going into the house and Lydia is like, Jane, I go in front of you because I'm a married Ugh. woman now. And then she walks in front Bye. of her. Bye. Truly. And she turns around and she's like, Mrs. Wickham, Lord, how droll that sounds. And I don't like that she is just belittling what everyone has gone through this whole time. You know what she is also? She is that girl. And this is gonna sound shady but you know those girls who have the engagement ring in every photo they take and they're like ugh, having a drink or like eating a salad you just see the engagement ring in everything like at the leading power of pizza here's my my engagement ring and then her fiance is super ugly so like i'm like why are you bragging (laughs) (laughs) that reminds me of that instagram account not engaged and she posts a picture of her hand everywhere and it's just like not engaged at blah, 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 blah. Like making fun of that. I love that. That's Lizzie. Yeah. Until she is engaged and then she probably is that girl. Which just shows that we're all bitter anyway. The bitterness is what fuels yeah. us. And that is the end of that scene. And that brings us to Becca's study questions. And I was just going to talk about how adding the actual Lotenant in builds the story of Lydia and Wickham and the scandal around it. It definitely, I feel like seeing it, one, Makes me feel a little bit bad for Lydia because, well, I feel bad for Lydia because she is a child and is being forced into this marriage that she shouldn't have ever been forced into. But two, it kind of gives me an idea of like how everyone feels about it. We get to see everyone's faces during it. We get to see Darcy's face during it. We get to see Wickham's face during it and see that he is going to do whatever these people tell him to at this point because... Otherwise, he's going to get arrested. I feel like if this show had, like, aired on, like, HBO or Showtime or something, they would have given, like, just their little excursion an entire episode so that you could just see, like, pure character development. Lydia and Wickham banging everywhere. Yes, like, their whole dynamic. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think, like, this makes it way sexier than the book, which just sort of hints at the fact that they're having sex. And here you sort of see it more. But... It could be even more explicit, like that they they've just been hanging out, banging in a hotel room for like weeks on end. Not even a cute hotel room. Well, it is kind of made explicit there, also a little bit in the beginning when Mrs. Bennett is like, "Oh, but they must be married at Longbourn. Like, what's this nonsense about them being married at Cheapside?" And Lizzie's like, "You know that they can't get married here." And Mrs. Bennett's like, "Well, why not?" And Lizzie's like, "Because they've been living together for weeks." Insane. And if they came back unmarried, everyone would know that they were just banging in a hotel room. And she was like, "Oh." I guess you're right. Yeah. All right. That brings us to scene two. Woo! Scene two. So the girls, Sans Mary, are walking through the fields, and Wickham is just riding on his horse in circles around. What them. is he doing? He's just showing off, and it's not cute. And Lydia's the worst too. She turns to Lizzie and she asks her if she's jealous of her, and Lizzie's like, "No, no." And then Wickham <laughs> gives them this like stupid little wave where he's like, "Hello, look at me on the horse," and it's all just so bad. It's like, why would anyone be jealous of your situation, sis? Right? But she's so clueless. And Lydia is going around talking about how hot he is and how good a horseman he is. She She's like, oh, God, my boyfriend's so hot. And everyone's like, do you see the same guy riding the horse that I see? (laughs) 
I especially loved it. This was the moment where she was like, oh, pity you didn't all come to Brighton. I could have gotten husbands for all of you. And Lizzie's like, I don't particularly like your method of getting husbands. Yes, that was so shady. I loved that. Uh, Lizzie knows how to savage someone when she needs to. She really does. Then she's talking about how she wishes all the officers had been able to come to her wedding, but they couldn't because of their duty, which, you know, nobody was invited, but she doesn't know that. And she said, so then it was just my aunt and uncle and Mr. Darcy. And Lizzie stops short and goes, Mr. Darcy. Darcy. The record scratch on that was insane. (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. (laughs) Lydia doesn't seem to notice at first. She's like, oh, yes. Well, somebody had to be Mr. Wickham's groomsman. And she's like going on. And then she goes, oh, my God. (laughs) It was supposed to be a secret. (laughs) Like that is just like so petty. (laughs) So petty. So petty. Like for what? She knew that she wasn't supposed to say anything. She's just trying to stir the pot. For no reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So then Lizzie goes immediately to write to Mrs. Gardner to ask why Mr. Darcy was there. And Mrs. Gardner writes back saying, oh, I would have thought you would have known what Darcy did to bring about the marriage. But in case you really don't know, let me tell you, he paid a bunch of money to do this. And it had, she says it all had to be him. And then we get to see him and the gardeners. And he is saying, this is all my fault. I should have told everyone that Wickham was an asshole. He says something like the fault is mine and so should the remedy be which I really liked and then we see Mr. Gardner kind of glance at Mrs. Gardner and then he makes this like satisfied sort of like good man and then shakes his hand like his approval yeah I liked that it was very sweet and it was almost like emotional it was really it's a nice seed yeah the gardeners really love Darcy they're both like Kari's just like, what the fuck am I getting myself into here? Then Wickham walks up and is like, I'm interrupting you. And she's like, yes, you are. And (laughs) she's like unreadable in this moment. She is not going to let him know how pissed off she is at him. She's just like, oh, yeah, let's walk together. Sure. And so they start walking together. And I, oh, he calls her sister. Like he didn't spend the first half of the story trying to fuck her. Yes. And she's like, not this. And I just love how like she just provides like all the underhanded commentary where she, when she, and she's like, you've been up to all this, haven't you, this entire time? Oh, be honest, brother. Like, <laughs> be honest about it. Yeah. She calls him the fuck out, out in this scene. And he's just like, oh. This is a beautiful scene that just doesn't exist in the same way in the books. Yeah, the scene in the book was kind of a a one-off. I was like, I don't even know why he's talking to her right now. But here, it's like, mm, he's getting his comeuppance now. And I love it. It's just so perfect because the first, like, three episodes, you see her interactions with Wickham are sort of built around her chemistry with him and his ability to just, like, just, like, seamlessly charm her. And there's real repartee there between them and here they the actors are filling the air with this tension that is so palpable and it's fascinating to watch because it's very similar conversation and very similar walking but all the the magic is gone and and you can feel it it's cool i don't know why wickham decides to bring up darcy here because he knows that that's like very thin ice that he's on But he does it anyway, and he brings up Darcy, and he says that he saw him in town, and he wonders what he was doing there. And I remember this line in the book, and I was like, Lizzie, don't be so self-deprecating. What are you saying? Lizzie goes, perhaps he's preparing for the wedding. And then Wickham snaps his head to her, and she goes, with Mr. Berg. And he goes, oh, right. (laughs) And I was like, that's brilliant on the part of the filmmakers. Because in the book, she says, perhaps preparing for his wedding with Mr. Berg. And it doesn't really hit quite the same. It's like Lizzie being weird and like talking about Mr. Berg and Darcy like that. Here, it's like she's trying to make him scared. Oh, yeah. She's toying with him. And it's fun to watch her paw at him like she's a cat and he's a mouse that she caught. Mm-hmm. And he asks if they saw each other at Lambton, Darcy and Lizzie. And she says that, yes, that's when he introduced her to Georgie. And I, uh, I don't want to hear him talk about Georgie because it makes me so mad. Every time he goes to talk about Georgie, everyone just like puts up the fists and is like, no, you don't. Wait, Georgie as Georgiana, Darcy's sister, right? Yeah. She's so precious. She just wants to be happy, love her brother and play the piano. And she just wants to walk around in like white lace all day. What an angel. (laughs) And her curly blonde hair. Uh, Yeah. And he says that she must be much improved since he last saw her because she wasn't very, um agreeable or whatever and Lizzie's like mm-hmm mm-hmm sure then he asks about Kimpton and he asks if they saw the place where he was supposed to have his living and this is where Lizzie calls him out she's like I actually 
know for a fact that you didn't always want to make sermons. And he is like, oh, okay. And that's where she's like, come now, brother. (laughs) We must not quarrel about the past. I loved this. And then this was prime. She says, let us not quarrel about the past. And then she sticks her hand out Iconic. for him to kiss. And he kisses it. And then she just walks in the house without saying anything to him. Iconic. Phenomenal. Do you know, like, when Lemonade came out and everyone listened to Don't Hurt Yourself and everyone was like, is Jay-Z okay? That is the level of call out that is going on here. Oh, it's amazing. It's like Gaslighter. Ah, uh, yes. The whole album. Oh, the song, what is it? Uh, Tights on the Boat? Tights on My Boat. Oh. I don't think I know that song. Oh, she sings this song. You can tell the girl who left her tights on my boat that she can have you now. Also, how do you sleep at night? How do you tell those lies? And she's like, I just got off the phone with my husband's girlfriend's husband. How messed up is that? Yeah. And you're like, oh, is is everyone okay? Nobody's okay. okay. Natalie's okay. Nobody else is okay. (laughs) Where were we? Back to this book. Do, do, do. They go inside. Then it's time for Lydia and Wickham to leave. And Mrs. Bennett is crying. And Lydia's like, well, we won't see you for probably two or three years. Then Mrs. Bennett says that Mr. Bennett is cruel for not letting them go visit her. And that's when Mary is like, I wouldn't want to go anyway. And Mrs. Bennett goes, girl, hold your tongue. Nobody asked you. Who asked you? That's the only time that I was like, all right, Mary, you got me. That was the only time. I love her sass. Yeah, she knows how to occasionally throw out a petty queen moment. Then Lydia, Lydia likes to bring up the fact that they're banging. She's basically like, I won't have time to write because I'm too busy having sex with my husband. Yeah, and she's always bringing up that. So that's what that was. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, oh, my sisters can write. They won't have anything else better to do. They're not having sex. Child, listen. Big wink, big wink. So shady. Yeah. And then Wickham, oh, this was peak grodiness of Wickham. He's like, well, I must get to business. Let's not say goodbye. Let's say au revoir. Tips fedora. The way he said it was so nasty. He didn't even try to do the French thing. He just like... Au revoir. He said it like a Midwestern mom trying to pronounce something in Spanish. (laughs) I said, oh no, not this. Not this. Y'all can go. It was so bad. And then they like, both. they're like leaning out the window in this way that's just like... Look at us. And I hate them. And then everyone goes back to their usual activities. We see Mary practicing the piano. We see Kitty mending a hat. You mean Kitty throwing a hat across the table? (laughs) Yeah, Kitty throws the hat across the table. Daddy Bennett's reading with a glass of wine. And Lizzie goes into her room, looks in the mirror, and blows out the candle to end the scene. So dramatic. And that brings us to Becca's study question number two, which is about the scene with Wickham and how it frames the story Because we don't get closure with Wickham. Why do you think we get closure with Wickham here? Well, this scene technically is in the book. It's just a lot better seeing it played out in front of us. I feel like when I read this scene in the book, I didn't quite see how sassy Lizzie was getting to be to him. I was kind of reading it more straightforwardly, so it didn't feel so much like closure. Did we get to see them say goodbye in the book? Yeah, we saw them say goodbye, but what happened is that he was bringing up his inheritance. She was like, you're full of shit. You did. You actually had that inheritance and you turned it down. Oh, is that an addition? I'm pretty sure that's an addition. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but either way, it is excellent closure. The only reason I felt like I didn't have closure in the book, I think, was because at that point, I didn't understand that Wickham wasn't going to come back and try to murder anyone. Like, <laughs> I really thought that he was going to come back for revenge. So, I- Oh, you really did. A full-on Kate fear. If you know that movie. I've seen like videos about it because it's like one of those iconic movies, right? Yeah, with uh, Jessica Lange and like like a young Robert, De- like a younger Robert De Niro. And he's a psycho killer. He follows them home, follows them to the family boat. That's like Wickham in a horror story. Mm-hmm. Tries to bamboozle you, then follows you home. Yep. <laughs> Many yikes. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. 
After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. That brings us to scene three, where we find out from Mrs. Phillips that Bingley is coming back to Netherfield, and everyone is so excited. Bingley is like, I can't decide whether I like Bingley or whether I hate Bingley. That would be a hot take on this podcast, Kari. Here's my hot take on Bingley. Okay. Throughout this entire series, every time this man walks into a room, the energy that he brings is like craghead energy. Like, he's like, hi, everyone. I'm Bingley. I'm here. Good evening, Lizzie. How are you? Oh, hello, Jane. It's nice to see you again. Hey, everyone. What's going on? We're at the party. Hi, I'm Bingley. And I'm literally just going, dude, not this. Calm down. I'm losing my shit. We get it. You're here. <laughs> You're here. Bring it here. <laughs> like, literally. No, so like, I love him. It's like, it's lovely that he is so jolly. You know, I know some people like that actually come to think of it. And it is it is a little jarring. It's a lot. Someone to be happy all the time. So for the listeners, if you hate me for saying that, whatever. Pull up in my DMs. I'm here to fight. Honestly, the person most likely to hate you for saying that is Molly. So that's <laughs> yeah, me. It's okay. I won't bring you down on Instagram. But I will say that I, I heartily disagree. It's impossible for me not to smile when I'm looking at that man. I just, he's so joyful. I love it. I could see it. I could see that him being a crackhead, but I would still <laughs> For me, it was very jarring. I was like, he's very excited to be alive. He's got joie de vie. He's so excited. But then we see Netherfield getting all like set up for the return. All the servants with their like baskets of potatoes and leeks and vegetables or as my grandmother would say vegetables vegetables <laughs> vegetables we get to see bingley like shooting some birds and being cute about it even though i don't agree with hunting <laughs> and then we see jane and lizzie drying out flowers they're like hanging flowers to dry and jane is like i'm fine i just don't want people to talk about it it's gonna be fine and lizzie's like all right i won't talk about it however sorely i am tempted to and then jane is like Lizzie stops smiling at me and Lizzie's like, okay. And then they both laugh about it. And I loved this scene because it really shows like how they both, one, they're both very attuned to the other person's emotions and they both know that Jane is still in love, but they're going like, to care about each other in a nice way. And also they have a good sense of humor. Yeah. I love their relationship. It's so pure. It's so sweet. Mrs. Bennett, meanwhile, is pissed that he hasn't called on them in three days since being back. And she says it's all Mr. Bennett's fault. And they're all going to die alone because of him. And, like, she's yelling over Mary as she's practicing the piano. Poor Mary. She's squelting. It's more than yelling. It's, like, full-blown squelting. <laughs> she really is. This was one of my favorite lines was when she was like, this is all Mr. Bennett's fault. He would not do his duty and call, so you should all die, old maids. <laughs> Do you have any friends who um, catastrophize when guys don't text them back? That is me. Yes. Yeah, it's Kari. <laughs> this is why she said you were Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I've ranted to Molly about men not texting me back. Oh, you have? It's been like two days and you're like, okay, I don't know what it is, but I must be heinous. I go on like rants when men don't text me back. I'm like, listen, either you want it or you don't. Either you're going to hop in these messages or you're not. Yes. Everyone should follow Kari on Twitter because... You get to get a good insight into that sort of thing. <laughs> it's a hot mess. It's like half that and like half my butt crack. So like enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And then the occasional viral tweet. Yes. The occasional viral tweet. Every once in a while. Kari went famous for a little bit there. Hello. I actually have a viral tweet going right now about, about Canada's drag race. Ooh. Oh, you do? Yeah. Wow. Look at you. Ugh, thriving. But then Kitty 
leans out the window and is like, wait a minute, isn't that him? And Mrs. Bennett runs over and she's like, it is him, it is him. And Jane is like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Kitty says her iconic line, oh, and it's that man. What was his name? Yeah, she's like, oh, what's his name? And then like full close up on like Lizzie's face and she's like, Mr. Darcy. Yeah. It's like a whisper, Mr. Darcy. I loved that moment because you see this little smile playing on her face. She's like, and then she's like, oh my God, I can't be smiling about that. The acting. <laughs> she knows that it's Mr. Darcy. The acting. Oh, acting. I just love Kitty just going, and what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> and it is, and it is Mr. Darcy. Darcy. And Jane and Lizzie are sitting at the table panicking and Mrs. Bennett is fussing over Jane and she's like, sit up, sit up. And I got this one line. She says, a man could go a long way without seeing a figure like yours if he could only make the most of it. And I thought that was so weird. Oh my God, so shady. Uh, Yes, so shady. She is like brutal to her children. She is. And also like expects a lot more of them than she should. She she would thrive on toddlers and tiaras, honestly. Or like dance moms. Yes. Dance moms, yeah. She would be the dance mom up in Abby's face every episode imagine the dance moms episode arc jane versus lydia Ugh. Oh. then they come in and everyone bows at once which was an excellent little clip and bingley is so excited to be there and mrs bennett is going on about how happy she is that he's there and all of this stuff and then we see lizzie and darcy kind of exchange a glance and then like look away from each other and mrs bennett is rude to darcy she's like going on to bingley about how happy she is he's there and then she turns to darcy and she's like and mr darcy nice to see you too or something like that and everyone's uncomfortable especially lizzie who knows what he did yeah and oh and mrs bennett when she says that to him darcy rolls his eyes and looks away which was beautiful i wish that they had had a like a a, a huge like brawl i would have loved them to have had a scene together where they just like duke it out and they're just dragging each other left to the right listen the two of them get as close to like sloppy fighting as is allowed at this time period in society because like i will never forget when like mrs bennett came over to their house in like the first or second episode and like it's after we already know that she does not like darcy and she's like well some people have manners around here while others don't and it's like you do not have the range (laughs) for all of this all of this mouth oh my god i feel like that's like exactly what describes mrs bennett girl you do not have the range you do not have the range She doesn't have the range. She doesn't have the range. Doesn't know. Also, Bingley keeps trying to talk and she keeps interrupting him. Like he'll open his mouth to say something and she'll just plow right through. And poor Bingley keeps smiling through the whole thing. He's such a good boy. He just wants to marry Jade so bad. He does. Lizzie tries to fix this whole situation by asking how long he'll be in town and he says he hopes he'll be in town several weeks at the very least and he blushes so hard that he looks like he's sunburned he's so sweet he's blushing i will give him that that was a a very cute bingsley moment you just know that like he is here this ain't a vacation he is here to get his his wifey he's got a purpose Then she invites, Mrs. Bennett invites him to come shoot on their land. And she then turns to Darcy and she's like, and you may bring your friend too, if you will. And Lizzie is so stressed about all. It's just so uncomfortable. And then they leave. And Jane says that she's perfectly content now. They're going to be great friends. Everything is fine. Girl. Jane. She says they'll be perfectly indifferent to each other. And Lizzie's like, okay, sure. Okay. (laughs) Cut to, this was maybe my favorite scene in the entire thing because we didn't get to see this in the book and seeing it is so satisfying. We see Darcy and Bingley coming out of Netherfield and Bingley is like, you mean to tell me she was in London all that time? And Darcy's like, yes, I'm very sorry. I should never have interfered. And Bingley's like, so you'll admit that you were in the wrong? And Darcy's like, yes, of course. And Bingley's like, so... I have your blessing. And Darcy's like, do you need my blessing? And Bingley's like, no, I don't. But I would like to have it. And Darcy says, all right, go to then. And then he leaves. That was cute. Off topic, but Darcy's wearing the most dramatic coat in this scene. Where is he going? Just London for work or something? He's He's just being rich. That's what that is. He's just being rich, taking names. And like rich people have dramatic coats. Yeah. Mike's exact words on this word. They should fuck. Put them on a horse, you cowards. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bing Lee and Darcy on a horse together. Honestly, I would love like some kind of like alternate universe where like Bing Lee and Darcy fall in love. I think that'd be a great dynamic. Talk about a good match. Listen, fan fiction writers, Ugh, get on it. What do you got for us? I would like to see it. I would like to read it. And Lizzie and Jane can marry them and be their beards. Yeah. Oh my God, like Grace and Frankie. Ugh. Yes. But the other way around. Ugh. Incredible. Grace and Frankie. Wow. Wait, my mom keeps telling me I should watch that show. You would love that show. Oh my God, watch it. It's so good. I think you'd love it. I think I probably would too. I think you'd love Lily Tomlin. I think I do love Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin is who you will be when you're 70. Yes, precisely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I think I'll be more like Grace when I'm at age. <laughs> I, would, I would watch a reboot of Grace and Frankie with the two of you when you guys are elder. Except like instead of like martinis, it'd be like constant glasses of wine and like gin and tonics. Yes. yes. Like I would never fail to have a gin and tonic in my hand. Oh, absolutely. So then <laughs> Bingley is like, get me my horse and he gets on the horse and he runs off to Longbourn and Mrs. Bennett sees him coming and she has an aneurysm and she starts screaming for that Jane. whole scene is hysterical such a moment this whole scene is like chaos pure chaos she's running around and she's like Jane get dressed and Kitty is looking for her locket her necklace and Kitty's like have you seen it and her mom's like no one cares no one cares get Jane ready no one cares about your necklace <laughs> I, I loved Mary had a line here where she was like I haven't seen it but I wouldn't notice I care nothing because it bobbles bye Mary this this is why I want to fight you. <laughs> that right there. Like at this very moment, Mary, is that what you need to be saying? I like, I literally rolled my eyes so hard when Mary said that. <laughs> I was like, oh God, here we go. This is also where um Jane is like, let Kitty go down. She's ready. And she, Mrs. Bennett goes, hey, Kitty. And you're like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kitty again starts crying. <laughs> Kitty starts crying. Poor Kitty, honestly. She's always crying. Hard relate. Oh God, what a, what a freaking scene. And then the music is like, and then all of a sudden it cuts out and they're downstairs sitting with Bingley in silence and it's super awkward. And this is the iconic Mrs. Bennett winking scene. <laughs> oh my God. So hysterical. Her face is twitching. She's like winking and winking and she's sitting next to Bingley and then the girls are across from them. So Bingley has no idea what's happening. Kitty is the only person who is acknowledging it. Jane and Lizzie are like, trying to look in other directions. Mary is unaware. And Kitty's like, what's the matter, Mom? <laughs> Why are you winking at me? Mom, do you have something in your eye? And I love it because Lizzie's just like looks up and she's like, I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> nope. And then Mrs. Bennett is like, uh, why would I be winking at you? But now that you mentioned it, I do have to talk to you and you too, Mary. So then they leave and Lizzie just picks up her embroidery and is like going to sit there. And, like, why aren't they having a conversation? Everyone's too uncomfortable. Lizzie just like picks up her like embroidery and does like a three quarter turn. Like that's supposed to like help her not hear the conversation at hand. That's not how hearing works. Lizzie's just at peace. She's like, this could go on forever. I'm I'm in. So then Mrs. Hill comes in and is like, your mom wants to see you upstairs. And Lizzie gets up and goes to the door. And then she turns around and she just does this look. Yes. Like she rolls her eyes, but then also looks concerned and then tries to look like, sorry, I'll, I'll leave you two alone all in, at once. And it was truly iconic. It was phenomenal. These are the moments that make clear why Jennifer Eel is the object of everyone's sexual attraction. I love her so much. She's so clever. Ugh. Then we jump to everyone upstairs sitting in silence. And Lizzie is begging her mom to go back down. She's like, five more minutes. We'll do it. Five more minutes. So in five minutes, Lizzie goes back downstairs and she opens the door and they're standing really close together and she might as well have walked in on them making out from how she responds. She's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, ah. <laughs> and Jane is like, no, no, it's okay. Don't go. And then Bingley whispers something to Jane and leaves. Also, did anybody clock this? Did he give her like a little tiny peck on the cheek when he did that? It looked like he did. I don't know. You think? I think so. He was on the other side of her face, so we can't be sure. But that's my headcanon. He was definitely whispering something nasty in her ear. <laughs> like, like, girl, after this wedding, I'm going to bring you on back to my house. <laughs> They're going to have to lock up these stables, girl. I'll see you after this wedding. <laughs> see, it was probably something more along the lines of, girl, I'm about to go talk to your dad. We're going to get his permission. And then, girl, I'm going to untie those those 22 eyelets in your corset, girl. <laughs> I love that men complain about taking off bras now when men used to have to take off corsets. Literally. Actually, we've done some research now and we know that it's in fact a stays and not a corset that they're wearing. That's actually accurate. I found that out on Twitter. They like didn't go back to full blown like corsets until the 18 like 
50s when they started doing like the really round skirts because mm-hmm. like they just like wanted these round ass skirts and then these small ass waists and it was a weird like time. kind of to get that hourglass well the hourglass was like the 1890s into the early 1900s the 1850s was kind of like a uh not hourglass but kind of like dome into like a, a sort of kind of yeah and then like the 1860s 1870s like 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 the edwardian era was like an s shape because of the bustles that people had on their booties. They had, like, the bustles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It was, like, an S-shaped type of thing. I love having fashion people on the I pod. I love having fashion people on the pod. It's so good. I took a whole class about this when I was studying abroad in London. Like, I learned about the history of corsets. Very fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Lots of whale boning. I made a corset. You did? Yeah, I, I made one for myself. But granted, I was, like, 25 pounds heavier when I made this corset. So now it doesn't fit me. But, like, yes, I have a corset. It, I made one. Incredible. It was cool. So when Bingley leaves, Jane, the rest of my notes just say Jane. <laughs> but she turns to Lizzie and Lizzie's like, well. And Jane just, like, almost bursts into tears. And she's like, Lizzie, I'm so happy. How could everyone not be so happy? Could you imagine that it would end up like this? And Lizzie's like, yes, I could imagine and I do it I do believe and Jane is so happy and she goes to tell her mom and she's like oh I'm gonna bring my family so much joy and it's just so happy what a what a sweet sweet happy ending to this scene so well deserved and that brings us to Becca's study question which is about uh Jane's performance here so like I talked about this with the book as well but Jane is so repressed the entire time But how does, like, actually seeing it help you understand her arc in the story? There's this moment where Lizzie says, well, and Jane looks stressed for a second. And then she just breaks into this giant smile. And I think that that kind of sums up her arc in this story. She's been there for everyone else this whole time and has borne all of the stress and drama of her family. And now she gets this thing for her. And we get to see her transition into being her pure, joyful self that we don't get to see the rest of the time. And even then, she's still like, this is going to make my family so happy. So she's still got that that shred of Jane, but she's so happy. Yeah. I feel like her whole story is like waiting for everything to happen. Like, she's just waiting. She's like the Lady Edith. Uh, if you watch Dot Nabby, she's like the Lady Edith. Yes, I see that. Where she's just kind of like, She's watching everybody else go through the drama and deal with all this stuff. And she's just like, she's waiting for her life to start. I agree. And I also think there's an element of like, she feels pressure because she knows she's her family's best shot at having no ruin at the end of it. And so you see like, not only is she so happy and in love and finally allowed to admit it, but also like the weight lifted, literally like lifted from her shoulders, figuratively lifted from her shoulders, but still. (laughs) Who's older, her or Lizzie? Jane. Okay. Also, we get to see Lizzie's relief after Jane leaves to go tell her mom. We see Lizzie like there's a line in the book about Lizzie thinks about how this whole ordeal has now come together and been tied up so neatly and come to such a happy ending. Oh, yeah. And we get to see that kind of cross Lizzie's face and we see her shoulders relax a little and she like sighs with all of the release of the pressure that's been on Jane, too. Absolutely. On that happy note, let's end this episode and finish the rest of episode six in our next episode. Kari, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so much fun. Tell the people where to find you. Okay, so like if you want to find me on Instagram, it's at Titus's Twin, T-I-T-U-S-S-T-W-I-N. If you're wondering why it's Titus, it's because everyone thinks that I act like Titus and Dramadon from The Unbreakable <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt. Listen, I can see it. So, like, that's why I'm in, But, yeah, find me on Insta. That's where I'd be at. Awesome. All right, listeners, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Until next time, stay proper. I've been blanking on these lately. Kari, you think of one. Kari, help us close <laughs> it out. Stay proper. Shop on Depop and support small businesses during a pandemic. Yes! yes! Incredible. We love it. And um, that's it, right? Oh, and find a man. Find yourself a Williamsburg lesbian if that's your thing. Or Bushwick. (laughs) Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.